David, what are we listening to there? We are listening to the sounds of the metallic wheels of the Perseverance rover move across the dusty surface of Jezero Crater on Mars. I guess the scrapes we, we can hear are those metal wheels churning up rocks and slowly destroying themselves. So is that, is that happening now? Is that a live recording or is what, what's, what's going on? Well, that is happening right now. The rover is driving across rocks right now. But that recording is a couple of months old. I think it's from one of the very first days of the mission. Have we ever heard that we're listening to sounds from another planet? That's pretty, pretty phenomenal piece of uh, it is pretty cool. engineering and science. Yeah, isn't it? And it's surprising that uh, we've never done it before. We've never bothered to take a microphone with us to Mars or anywhere else in the solar system. Why would that be? Is that a, a cost? It costs a lot of money to get to another planet, presumably. It does. It costs a lot of money for each instrument, hundreds of millions of dollars. And so you don't build things that don't have really obvious science cases, I think. And the microphone just never made the cut. It's obviously proving useful now. Definitely useful for science outreach. And isn't it cool to hear the the wind and the the noise of the rocks being driven on? And we even heard the first uh, um, aircraft deployed on another planet. Ingenuity helicopter the other day. We heard that flying past in the microphone. So what is, what's the uh, Perseverance rover actually trying to achieve? Why have we spent all this money and effort to put it on another planet? Good question. I mean, it's not my money, it's NASA's money, it's the, the American taxpayer's money, I guess, although there are lots of contributions from all over the world, including our own here in Australia, QUT. Um, although it looks like the Curiosity rover, it looks really similar. It's the same sort of overall design, but it's got completely different goals, really ambitious new goals, so we've gone to this ancient crater lake on Mars and we're looking at the rocks and trying to figure out whether that lake that was there we think maybe four billion years ago was ever the sort of place that life as we know it could have survived. Um, we're also testing some new technology, we're making oxygen, um, trying to figure out how that works on Mars and we're starting the process of bringing samples back to Earth where we can look at them in the, some of the awesome labs we have around for the first time. So it's a really exciting mission as you well know. So, and what's your job? Uh, what's your role in this? Yeah, I'm a, something called a long-term planner. I help figure out where we're going and, and what we're going to sample and the sort of longer-term strategy. And we have a group here at QUT that's uh, producing software that we use to help analyse the science data that comes back where we investigate the chemistry of rocks. And we've got a group of scientists who are helping to uh, analyse that data and... Uh, help command the, the movements of the rover and a pretty big team here yeah and we'll, I guess we'll hear about that in one of these future podcasts speaking of podcasts if that's what they're calling this mm-hmm. what are we doing here so this is part of the uh, online content that we are going to uh, make available for ERB 102 evolving earth which is part of the earth science major what we're really trying to make happen is the interactivity right so yeah. if you've got a question about anything Posted onto the discussion board. Worst thing that can happen is we totally ignore it. Yeah. Um, you may even end up here as a guest on our exclusive podcast. Exactly. But only if you wish it. We wouldn't put anyone on the spot. No. So what are we going to talk about today? So on Earth, we we can go and pick up the rocks, and we we can go through a process of figuring out the age of those rocks. On Mars, 
we've never never taken samples before. That's right. Yeah, we, how do we know how old that location is? We don't really know exactly how old it is. That's the truth. And, and the reason for that, exactly as you just pointed out, we can't get any rocks back into our lab. Um, now, I know you have some experience dating rocks on Earth. So how, how would you date a rock here? So we have laboratories that are dedicated to analyse the chemistry of rock. And the chemistry can hold all sorts of, uh, of information about how that rock formed and where, what pressure and temperature and all those sorts of things, whether it was in the ocean or deep in the earth. One of the main uses of geochemistry, uh, which is the chemical analysis of rocks, is that uh, you can use different isotopes. I guess we should explain what isotopes are. Yeah, so what's an isotope? Oh, an isotope. You put me on the spot. Here. Sorry. Let, let's, say, let's say you've got uh, elements. We've all seen the periodic table, hopefully, in high yep. school chemistry class. Um, and each of those elements have a certain number of protons and neutrons That's in right. their nuclei. If you have different amounts of protons and neutrons, particularly neutrons, you will have uh, you can have to be the same element but different isotopes. For example, if you are an atom of hydrogen, you've got one proton and one electron. And so, if you have one proton and one neutron, you're still hydrogen, but you're a different isotope. You are now deuterium. Mm -hmm. And if you have even more neutrons, you can become tritium. So it's all hydrogen. It is chemically very similar to ordinary hydrogen, but it has a different weight. Yes. It, so it creates a different, very subtle changes in mass. So each element has a lot of different flavors, and they're called isotopes. And some of them are unstable, and so, they decay into other things. Yeah, so by unstable, uh, there's this term you know, radioactive or radiogenic. And what that means is that the isotope decays over time. So it goes through a process of change from a parent isotope to a daughter isotope. So uh, how can you use that to figure out how old a rock is? So if you know how quickly the decay occurs, you can calculate the age of said material by comparing the amount of parent isotope to the amount of daughter isotope. So one that's commonly used and you hear about is, is radiocarbon, a technique to date recent material in like biogeological... The Turian Shroud, right? Yeah, so within thousands of years, hundreds, well, even tens to hundreds to thousands of years. And one of the reasons uh, that is useful is because uh, that particular isotope incorporates very well into organic material. Uh, it's produced in the atmosphere and everything that interacts with the atmosphere uh, takes that in. But it also has a, quite a short half-life, so it decays quite quickly. So we can use that to date uh, things from around up to around 40,000 years old. So what if the rocks are older than 40,000 years? So you can use uh, different isotope systems. So uh, geochemists spend a lot of time figuring out different, what, different minerals, how they take in different isotope systems, and uh, based on variations in half-lives of, of these isotope systems, you can apply uh, a different isotope to, to a different length type period of time. So if we're talking about sort of billions of years, billions. you mentioned four billion years, but there are, there are tape where we'll have to look at a particular isotope system. Usually we use uranium lead mm -hmm. for that. So how old is the stuff around us then if we've gone around and dated it all with this very complex sounding technique that sounds like it's based on solid fundamental principles. 
so most of the stuff around us is quite relatively much younger than 4 billion years. So in, in Brisbane, we're surrounded by things, rocks that are around up to 100 million, several up to 400 million years old. That's an order of magnitude less than what we're talking still about. Still a lot. But it's still, it's still quite old. Million. It's an incomprehensible it's amount of time, it's really. 4,000 million years, isn't it? That's, that's a huge amount of time. So, David, how do we know how old <laughs> the uh, Earth is? One of the ways we know how old the solar system is, because the Earth is a little bit younger than the solar system, it's alive, it's being uh, resurfaced, as we'll, we'll talk about, uh, we can find, though, a piece of the very early solar system frozen in place, a meteor, I'd say, that formed at the very beginning has just been floating in space ever since. So every now and again, meteorites like that, they land on the Earth, and there are minerals in those meteorites that we can date using radioisotope dating. And so before that, which was not that long ago, how did we know the age of the Earth or the age of the different rocks that have accumulated on the Earth? So uh, that's, a, that's a good question. So geolo- the science of geology has been around much, obviously much longer than uh, mass spectrometers. And the concept of geological time still very much existed before that. Despite many efforts to sort of figure out what the age of the Earth through speculation, people really didn't have an idea. And what they were, but what they were able to do is establish a relative age of materials. Mm-hmm. I remember some of those speculative attempts. Or like uh, I remember someone tried to figure, realise that uh, rocks were being weathered and all of the... Uh, elements like sodium were being washed into the oceans. Oh, yes, the, uh, the oceans became more salty. Yeah. So you measure the saltiness of the oceans, you know how old the Earth is. But what, of course, they, they missed was that the salt is also being removed from the ocean. And, of, of course, there's a biblical. That's right. Component. You can uh, investigate that uh, ancient uh, text, the Bible, and uh, some people have interpreted uh, parts of the Bible to, to indicate the Earth is rather young, I think 6,000 years is... Very literal interpretation. Mm. But so what happened? Back then, even so those early geologists like uh, Hutton, um, one of the fathers of geology, they realised that the Earth was much older and they figured out a system to date some of the rocks they were seeing. So, yeah, this comes into play when we look at the geometric relationships of different rocks that mm-hmm. we observe uh, on the surface. So imagine you, you walk down to the beach and you see a cliff. Yes. What do you mean by the geometric relationships? So our geological nomenclature, let's just say, mm-hmm. we have uh, three different rock types. So we have a sedimentary rock. Mm-hmm. A sedimentary rock is one that forms on the Earth's surface and usually the result of some sort of erosion and weathering mm-hmm. of, of, of an existing rock uh, to create particles and those particles get transported by wind or water mm. uh, under gravity. So imagine we're standing on that beach. We're seeing new rocks being created right underneath our feet, right? That That's right. The beach is actually going to turn into a rock at some point. So there's a there's a horizontal uh, aspect to that. Yeah, they're flat lying, so, obviously, because the Earth's mostly yeah. flat. So when we have different layers of those sedimentary rocks mm. uh, build up over the expanse of geological time, yeah. we have a stacking layer cake scenario. So right. the rocks that are at the bottom of that stack... Mm-hmm are going to be older. That makes sense. One thing that may not make sense to a lot of people is how that layer cake then gets lifted up high again. If the rocks are deposited at the level of the beach in a layer cake stratigraphy, they're going to build up to the level of the water and they can't go any higher. So one of the other rock types that we have is igneous rocks. Igneous rocks are those that uh, form from 
a molten rock liquid, if you will. And they typically need a lot, they, well, they're high temperature rocks. Uh, when they're deep down in the earth, uh, they form these uh, large crystalline rocks called plutons. And that's what you see on typically on like granite bench tops and, mm -hmm. and whatnot. And your bench top at home is made of one of these previously molten rocks. Yeah. So when you see big crystals, that's something that's uh, formed from a, a rock that's formed from a liquid deep in the earth. Mm -hmm. The vertical movements uh, in, uh, in geology are typically caused by a process related to plate tectonics. Mm -hmm. So plate, you, you're familiar with plate tectonics, I, David? I am. There are so, some skeptics. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm not one of them. We know that the different continents you can see are like bits of scum floating around on this, uh, like a soup being boiled, this convection of the lava underneath in the pot, and the continents are just floating around on top. And they're constantly bumping into each other. And the way they bump into each other is with great force. Mm. Uh, slowly, but slowly, great force. Yeah, so great force over long periods of time. So a convergent margin is something where you have two plates colliding. One requires a space to, to move into, and the other continent is blocking it. Convergent margins usually result in mountain ranges. Uplift. And, which is a result of uplift yeah, so and, and a combination of volcanic activity. Mm. So along these convergent margins is where you have your most dynamic geological... So mountains are being built really quickly. Yeah, in a geological margins, sense. Yes. Geological sense yes. So where we look at places like the Him Himalayas, mm. the Andes, yeah. uh, it's the one in Europe. Uh, the uh, Alps. Alps. <laughs> yes. So I've actually been to uh, Mount Everest, been to the base camp there. Oh, yes. And, uh, speaking of uplift. Yeah, so it's way up there. It's one of the highest parts of the, the planet. I think I was about 5,000 metres high, and I went to have a look at some of the rocks, and I came across a fossil, a fossil ammonite, a marine organism that lived 65 to 70 million years ago, something like that, which is actually quite young, geologically speaking. And so it occurred to me in that moment that some of the highest mountains on Earth are actually some of the... Uh, well, they were the bottom of the sea not all that long ago. So since life has changed over time, I remember reading about the dinosaurs going extinct. Could we use the, the changes in the types of animals that were alive, the types of fossils we see, to date the rocks? Like if there's dinosaurs in there, it has to be older than, what, 60 million years or so. Yeah, so we can. Uh, and... Um that's, uh, that's just what we've just talk, touched on there is two different types of, of uh, addressing geological time. One is an absolute dating method. So we, we take a specific isotope system and we calculate uh, within an error of, of reason that this particular sample is 420 million years old, for example. Relative dating uh, is not necessarily dating your cousin, but it is dating <laughs> layers of rocks uh, in their geometric, geometric relationship to one another. So by identifying different rock types, so sedimentary, igneous or metamorphic, uh, and determining how those rocks are geometrically uh, uh, relate to one another, we can get a relative age. So we can say something's this rock is older than that rock because of X, Y. And there's a, there's a logic to it, isn't there? There is. Um, getting back to Mars, we can't use 
the biostratigraphy, I think that's what it's called, that the uh, different fossils that are present in the rock to figure out where we are in geological time, because there aren't any fossils on Mars as far as we know. And we can't use this radiometric dating technique because we can't get the rocks back to our labs, right? So how, how do we date the rocks on Mars? Good question. We don't have any rocks. You just said, rocks. well, you just said we're trying to return rocks from Mars. That's right. So we don't actually know absolutely the age of the rocks on Mars because we've never been able to make one of these radioisotope dates. That's why we're trying to get the, the rocks back. Or is that true? Well, there not one, been... There's one uh, date for a Martian meteor surface. We can, ah, that's a, so there are samples of Mars that have been returned to Earth naturally, the uh, Martian meteorites. And they all have different ages depending on uh, where they came from, which lava flow they, they came mm. from, for example. The problem we've got is we don't know exactly where they came from because uh, they were you know, brought here by massive impacts on Mars that blasted them out into space and they eventually found their way back to Earth. So we've got a bit of a sample provenance issue there. Mars, unlike the Earth, not a lot happens on the surface. Plate tectonics isn't operating. It may have operated in the past. That's one of the questions we'd really like to answer. But at some point, Mars cooled too much and it's sort of just been frozen in place ever since. Um, but we can date the surface through relative methods. Because it hasn't changed much, we can look at the intensity of cratering. So there's always meteorites flying around the solar system, whacking into stuff. Earth doesn't have many craters on it because we're constantly renewing the surface. How is, it, how is the surface being renewed? On the Earth. On the Earth. You just said it, through uh, plate tectonics. Plate tectonics. Erosion. Erosion. Uh, weathering. Uplift. Uplift. Very dynamic. Compared it's to... It's so dynamic, it has... Uh, living things and it's got us. That's right. Which is unique, as far as we know. As far as we know, whether we're going to try and test that hypothesis looking at these old rocks on Mars. But anyway... So that's why we're there. That's what, one of the reasons we're there. Yeah. Yeah. And so we know approximately how old certain rocks are on Mars in relation to others based on how densely the cratering is. But we don't know exactly how old any of it is. But we've got a lot of high-resolution imagery. We do. We've got beautiful satellite maps of Mars. In fact, the maps of Mars are almost as good as... Google Earth from our best satellites around Earth. Well, interesting you say this, because I, I, I'm a marine geologist for the most part. I work in rocks that are underneath the ocean, mm. and it's part of what people say is that we know more about the surface of Mars than we do about the, the depths of the ocean. Yeah, and that's probably true to some extent, isn't it? Well, it's, it's a, they're both very difficult environments to explore yes. at the end of the day. Mm. Yeah. So, Luke, what else can we expect in this unit? So this, uh, this unit thinks about and encourages you to think about how life and the physical Earth are linked, how the physical process, so those geological processes, those hydrological processes, those atmospheric processes, how they've been influenced by life and how life's been influenced by those processes. So we can... Uh Take a look in the geological record yes. and uh, hopefully, I suspect we might come to the conclusion that we're just temporarily animated portions of the Earth's crust. Yes. And can we take a look uh, elsewhere in the solar system to see uh, maybe what makes our planet special? So in this unit, we'll, we'll start from the beginning, some of the earliest life forms that we've seen on this planet. We might even talk about how this planet was formed and at what point in time was it even possible for life to exist on this planet. Perhaps make some connections with what was happening in the other planets at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so we'll go from microbial life and then into 
the Proterozoic into the, the Cambrian explosion, the appearance of animals and then plants in the geological record. And so how can people get involved over the next few weeks? So they can firstly make sure they're up to date with the Blackboard page, mm -hmm. very important because all the information for the unit will be posted and delivered through this, uh, this uh, web page. Uh, in that web page there is a discussion forum and in that discussion forum there's a place for you to list your podcast questions. So don't be timid, get on there no. and it doesn't matter what you post, worst case we'll just completely ignore it. Can, it's an, you can put it in an anonymous post. You can put it in an anonymous be, post. Be uh, professional of course but uh, we'll do our best to, to incorporate that into the learning. Step up, ask a question and Make sure that you get the most out of this unit. And enjoy yourself. And enjoy yourself. That's what we're here for. That's right. Well, and to learn. And to learn. So, folks, we will see you next week. Hello and welcome to Mars. You are listening to the Ingenuity Helicopter.